0: Welcome to another episode of Before You Kill Yourself with your host, Leo Flowers. I am Leo Flowers. Today's guest is Sarah Stanizai. She is a licensed marriage and family therapist and owner of Prospect Therapy, a queer plus trans affirming therapy practice with a special focus on working with first and second generation immigrants and other bicultural communities. Welcome to the episode, Sarah.
1: Thank you, Leo. I love it. I love it. Uh, I'm glad to be back when the vibes are right. They're right. So thanks. the
0: star. Yeah, the stars are aligned. You know, last time you were on, we discussed setting boundaries, feeling accepted and being a first generation immigrant. And you are also I don't know if you had just started or were about to start a workshop series on imposter syndrome for uh first generation americans can can you talk to us first about what imposter syndrome is cuz i feel like is it don't doesn't everybody struggle with this or just uh is this a small population what is it and
1: yeah um i can absolutely talk a lot about it um and that's the right question to ask. Imposter syndrome is essentially this idea that we describe it. People feel imposter syndrome when they um, have these sort of intrusive thoughts about people are going to find out I'm not as qualified as I seem, or I somehow got this achievement promotion grade, whatever. I I received this thing by accident or by pure luck, or one of my favorite <laughs> examples is, oh, well, I only got this because I worked really, really, really hard at the last minute. And I'm like, yeah, that's, I mean, that's okay. (laughs) That counts. Um, And everybody experiences this to some degree at some point. I think research says something like 70% of people experience that. Um, And why I focus on Part of why I focus on the first gen communities is because that's my community. Um, but different schools of thought say, like, one of the reasons, one of the sources of imposter syndrome is when um, you don't feel like you belong, or you kind of, a lot of upwardly mobile people feel that way when they get into really, um, you know, maybe their dream job or some, or a university or a setting that they might not have been in before. Um, that that can really trigger it. So um, this idea of not belonging or feeling like you're going to be found out. And so when we think about the society and culture that we live in, who are the people who are often told that they don't belong, that, oh, you need to code switch, you need to act a certain way, things aren't built with you in mind. Um, You know, I say any community that has historically been tolerated meaning we didn't want you here, but we will make room for you. Those are the people who often feel imposter syndrome more acutely or more frequently. Um, and that's been a large part of my work.
0: Yeah, I, I felt definitely the imposter syndrome. And part of that it came, you know, from the family, because, you know, I, I think a lot of immigrant parents, and I mean, I think their hearts are in the right place, but they embed in you this idea, like, don't get a big head. Don't get ahead of yourself. Uh, you know, don't think you're better than us, kind of mm-hmm. thing. And so, when you grow up with that message, and then you have the outside world being like, "Yeah, you are better than other people, or you deserve this, or giving you an a, a reward." Not saying that you're better than, but they're yeah. rewarding you. They're giving you an award, and like your parents didn't really give you that reward. They didn't really celebrate your achievements. They they always tried to keep you humble it can feel a bit jarring, like.
1: What am I supposed to do with this? Like I wasn't right. prepared for this. And I love that you said that. I love when parents are like, always do better. This isn't good enough. Why isn't this an A plus? And then when you do it, they're like, okay, don't get a big head, okay, like don't. <laughs> what if something bad happens? So it can be very confusing and a lot of mixed messages. But my new favorite thing, is not that new, but recently I'm really into this idea of like, yeah, actually I am an imposter. It's not a syndrome. I just need to, I know that there's certain roles I have to play. There's certain parts of my identity that I need to play up or play down. Or some of these things are not welcome in certain places. And it's kind of reclaiming or just flipping that idea of imposter syndrome and saying, Yeah, of course you're going to feel out of place. You, you are out, you should be out of place. Like, what is this thing that you want to fit into anyway? And we're really questioning all of these structures anyway. So I'm really into that, even though it's making me question, like, I got to redo all my imposter syndrome stuff. now. <laughs> like,
0: well, maybe
1: I shouldn't even be calling it a syndrome. Anyway,
0: I, I definitely want to, I want to backtrack just a little bit, because going back to receiving an award or reward or some accomplishment or degree, um, when we receive those things, the people that we want to share that with are our family and friends. Mm-hmm. And I think that can lead to that isolation and uh, confusion because, wow, I just received this awesome thing. I want to share it with my family, but they're not going to receive it in the way that or they may not. I don't want to say not going to, but they may not receive it in a way that makes me feel celebrated or honored or cherished. Um, and that kind of has to suck to be in that in-between space.
1: Yeah. Where so many times I'll hear people say, I know they're not going to, but I'm going to tell them anyway. And man, I knew they were going to be like this, but I was just hoping this one time. And, and you're right. Often they are, I don't know how often everybody's experience is different, but parents are well-meaning and they do want what's best for their kids, but their definition of what is best, you know, is based on a totally different set of circumstances they may not register things that we think are our accomplishments you know oh I got my dream job I'm finally getting to do the thing I want and they're like how much does it pay and you're like I mean don't worry about what it pays but I finally got my big break of doing this um that's just one example of what we consider the success or the achievement or the what is the win here it may not always match up with what our parents think the win is, and mm. so the same way we're like, "Ugh, well, what do I do with this achievement? Our parents or whoever else is in our community, they also might be like, "What am I supposed to do with it like i'm I'm waiting for you to say the good part, and it, it can be really heartbreaking
0: so what what do they do with that i mean i-, I here I am I, I thought like it's almost like a hunter goes out, they kill the lion, they bring it back, and they're like, but did you bring back any berries? And you're like, berries? Like, this mm-hmm. is going to feed the village mm-hmm. for for a month. And you're talking about berries.
1: <laughs> or I really like this. I'm happy about this. I want you to be happy for me. And that will really get people into trouble. I think. I think what you're asking is like, okay, well, how do we remedy that or make come to terms
0: with that right mm. yeah yeah where do we find acceptance because we, we I think it's unrealistic to want our parents to change because they grew up in a different uh system and at a different time where money was everything and being able to pay the bills and provide was everything and now I think that because we have a bit more mm-hmm.
1: freedom
0: it's like I can pursue my dreams like your parents couldn't dream you know, they <laughs> they got yeah. seven kids to feed.
1: Yeah, they can be respectfully, but like they could be our biggest haters, like jealousy competition. I know a lot of people have had that experience and they don't want to say it out loud. They're like, this can't be what it is. But the way they're describing it is, I don't think my parents are happy for me. Um, So that can be really, really damaging. But some of the... I don't want to say advice, but things we would talk about might be um, to finding some common ground on like narrowing down what is it that I'm happy for? And can you at least be happy that I got a job? Or can you at least be happy that um, that I'm happy, for example? And these are sort of, these are very like simplified examples, but can can we come together on any one part? Is any part of this exciting or are you happy about and that can kind of take our defenses down and, and it doesn't feel like a complete rejection or it doesn't matter, like none of this matters. I don't care and call me when you do X, Y, and Z. If we can find some part of this that we can be happy about and celebrate, um, that usually can reduce tension. Um, but sometimes if it's really bad, and especially with a lot of my um Queer and trans folks who I work with, whose parents and families, even if they really want to, have a hard time um, accepting it or looking past it, or just, you know, there will, it's always very obvious that they're not fully accepted. Um, and in some of those instances, I'll say, you know what, get your acceptance somewhere else. Build your life, find your people who are going to be happy for you. Just take your time and and just know that you're playing the long game. And maybe that means you have to leave home. Maybe it's going to take a few years. Maybe you're you're putting together this plan of, I'm going to stop going to this well that has no water in it. And I keep asking them for it. And I'm going to go look for another well. And I'm going to drink from there. And I'm going to build my life that I want. And there will come a time when you, as long as there will become a time when you are happy enough and well-adjusted enough and emotionally generous enough that then you can invite your parent or your family into your life. And then they're the ones who kind of have to show up and, you know, I don't want to say prove themselves, but yeah, they have to prove themselves. All those things that they were demanding and asking of you, now it's sort of on your turf and you can say, look, if you want to be in my life, you can come to my apartment these are the people who are going to be here. You're not going to disrespect me in my home. And that way it just puts you in a safer position of saying, look, you can, you can come, but it's going to be on my terms rather than going to somebody that, you know, is just going to uh, be disappointing and hurt your feelings.
0: You know, I love that. I was reading or not reading, listening to, because people were like, oh, you read it? And I'm like, no, nah, actually, I listened to it. I always feel deflated yeah, when I it. listen. Yeah, audiobooks all the way. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, 2X speed, let's go. Um, but anyway, so I listened to Sicily Tyson's book, and she, I think, lived to 97. I think that's when she passed away. And she talked about how way up into her 40s or 50s, she was still trying to get her mom's approval. And there was a moment where her mom where she felt like her mom finally approved of her lifestyle, uh, lifestyle in in terms of being an actress. Although Cicely Tyson was uh, a very successful actress from early on, um, her mom thought, you know, it wasn't a good job. It wasn't an honorable job, a respectful job, a job for a woman. And it wasn't until like Cicely like got an Oscar and her mom was at the awards and, um, that her mom was finally like, oh, you know, I, I, I really respect what you're doing. So it, it, you're right. It's like build the life that then your parents have to come to instead of you bringing your life to them and hoping that they're going to accept it. It's like instead of bringing that lion to the tribe, you know what? You start your own tribe and, mm-hmm. uh, and feed your own people. And then that tribe will... And then, and then what ends up happening, ideally you become stronger, right? Mm-hmm. It's like you went off, you've built the life and now they respect you. And now the relationship is, is strong.
1: Yeah, you do like usher, just be like, watch this.
0: Watch me come this
1: lion. <laughs> and I'm glad you gave that example because that, that will tell you what, what was my mom's problem. And in that case, it might have been, oh, what will people think? What is your reputation? And by extension, our reputation. Um, that kind of tells you the nature of what's standing in our parents' way of being happy for us. And what will people think is often a big part of it, but it could also be some stuff we never even knew about from before we were born. Maybe um, our parent had a specific dream or interest that they weren't allowed to do, or maybe they had a very bad experience with whatever it is that I'm trying to do. It could be something very personal and they have buried it so deep, they don't even talk about it. Oh my gosh, imagine our parents talking about their feelings. But um, <laughs> it can tell you the nature of whatever it is that when it finally does get resolved, you can both kind of gather around that and say, oh that's what it was. Like whatever you don't want me to be this because you've only had bad experiences with this, or your parent wouldn't let you do this, or you're really worried what other people were gonna think. Like it's of course, it's all clearer afterwards but any more insight or sharing that you can gather around will strengthen your connection and make you feel closer to each other
0: you you bring up a very good point oftentimes when people don't want you to do something or they seem against it there's a a personal connection as to why i mean even with like parents you know like put your helmet on look both ways before you cross the street. I mean, for a lot of parents, there is a fear of being seen as a bad mom if something or a bad parent if something happens to you, yeah. or there's a financial fear if you get hit by a car. I don't know that I can afford the medical bills and the time off work, and ex- so you know they're they're thinking about twelve other things that they may never bring up to you, or may bring up to you like when they're in their deathbed. Well, here's what you know. Mm-hmm. I was uh, what I, I really went through, and you're like that's you You couldn't just say it could could they just said that 20 years ago um so getting getting to that why getting to that understanding and and the parents may not even understand it because you're right sometimes they they are um operating off of what will the neighbors think Mm -hmm. right like what will the neighbors think about us everybody else's kid is going to college and you want to go be an actor kind of kind of deal It's like what are we going to say to our neighbors now now they're afraid that they're not going to be long in in that circle of friends
1: man and especially you know we're talking about parents who grew up somewhere else i grew up in california like we i i'm assuming most people in major cities like do not know their neighbors nor do they care to i'm not going asking for my little like cup of sugar i'm, I'm getting instacart and whatever but if we remember it, our parents probably grew up in a place where there was barely any boundaries between neighbors or extended family or whoever. Everybody was in each other's business, which is a positive thing and also can be a detriment, more so a detriment when you come to a completely mm, like, I don't know, lobotomized, individualistic American culture of like every person for themselves and Oh, sucks to be you. Like I have my own, whatever, you know? So it might not even occur to us that, what do you mean? What, do, what will people think? What do I care? And our parents are not living in that mindset often. I mean, I'm speaking very generally, but we forget about things like that.
0: In, in terms of imposter syndrome, what does it typically feel like? Or how does it register physically in the body? And And I'm asking meaning, I feel anger typically in my chest. Mm -hmm. I feel grief uh, in my eyes. Where do we typically register that feeling of imposter syndrome? Like I feel like Mm -hmm. an imposter, like I don't belong.
1: Oh yeah. That's a really great question. The short answer is everybody's going to be different. And I think some of the things you just said, I think a lot of times for me personally, people can tell when I have really showed myself like t- told on myself even if it's not something embarrassing or, or um like cringy or anything but when I feel exposed when I'm like oh my god that was obvious wasn't it my face gets so red even if it's you know it's not something I ca- I don't care if people know it but I'll just be like, oh my gosh I just did that thing that I do and everybody saw it <laughs> um, and to me, that feeling of being exposed or like, I don't know, vulnerable or, or that to me is kind of the nature of imposter syndrome. And so for me, that's getting really red in the face um, but other people may feel it like social anxiety where we're sweating and we're our heart is pounding. Um, we might have tunnel vision, we can't um, choose our words. I'm basically describing a panic attack at this point. Um, but, yes, everyone is different. And I think we can, you know, you can look this shit up on the internet all day, every day and, and somebody will tell you, oh, if your throat hurts, it's because you have a hard time speaking. And yes, that's true. Like there, all there's an art to all of this and a lot of the art has been lost, you know. Whether you think that stuff is real or not, you can, you can look at it or not, but just really tuning into yourself and saying, oh my gosh, I didn't eat all day. I think I'm feeling in in my gut, in my stomach. That's my anxiety or that's my grief or my fear or my sadness or my remembering what it felt like to be left out or singled out or the new kid or or whatever. Um, So my advice to people a lot of time is, oh my gosh, it's so annoying. (laughs) It's annoying even to me, but I know it's helpful of like, where are you feeling that? What's going on? what's going on with your hands right now? People are like, what the fuck kind of question? Why are you asking me that? You know what? Matter of fact, yeah, my hands are sweating. I'm, I'm fidgeting. I'm I'm gripping my hands really tight. I'm sitting on my hands. I feel really restless. Um, so the longer answer is to pay attention, to get it, to get in tune with what, where do you hold tension or stress? Whatever is going on in your body and don't worry about what you're going to call it. Just pay attention to it. And then see if you can connect it to a certain emotion or situation or feeling, or even a thought that's going through your head. And you can just learn the language of your own body
0: that way. Wow. Learning the language of your own body. Right. I know. Right.
1: I just came up with that. I
0: love that. That (laughs) is, I think that's a new article because I was scrolling through your website, beautiful website. Um, I don't know who wrote the copy if you wrote the copy, but uh, that would be me. That was I mean, I was telling him I was like, wow, this is incredible uh, copy uh, that Mm -hmm. was written. Um, But but the language of your own body, because one person crossing their legs away from someone signals something completely different than someone else crossing their legs away from you playing Mm -hmm. with your hair can be Mm -hmm. mean a very different thing than someone else playing with their hair. And also. There's how you're playing with your hair, right? Mm-hmm. Um, learning the that's such a a, a a challenging thing. I I think that like I, I guess that would be the benefit of going to a therapist or you know maybe videotaping yourself when you go out just to <laughs> get that CCTV mm-hmm. uh, TV footage <laughs> of you.
1: <laughs> you don't have to do all that, but even I do. That is a good idea of. Um, yeah you know, since we've spoken, I'm also doing business coaching now and helping other like therapists and service-based people who are like, how do I put myself out there? I don't want to be salesy. I don't want to be cringe, And I'm, uh, that's what they often tell me. They're like, how did you, how are you just out here on socials, like showing your face? And I'm like, I don't, you just keep doing it. You just keep doing it. Um, but the reason I bring it up is, that putting your socials out, putting we're all used to seeing ourselves on video at this point. Um, and you can pay attention to your nonverbal communications, the tension in your face or the expression on your face. It's really helpful if it's between two people and you watch yourself having a conversation. Um, especially for someone like me who I swear, like the older I get, just the madder and meaner I look. When I'm neutral, people are like, oh my God, are you okay? What's wrong? <laughs> like you know classic resting bitch face and it's just only gotten bitchier with age but you know that's just one example but we can see if we're comfortable or not if we're turning towards someone or not if if we're excited about the topic all of those things are helpful information yes professionally but also I don't know how many times I've told people, especially couples in my chair, I'm like, you know, you roll your eyes when your partner talks to you, right? Mm. And they're like, I swear I'm not. I swear I'm listening. I care about this. And you need someone to point it out. Um, So any data you can get about what your body feels like in certain situations to yourself, you know, what experiences you're having and what it might look like non-verbally, you know, to the outside world that can help you gain emotional fluency and understanding of yourself. And if you need to turn it on, if you are going into a new professional setting, if you are feeling like that imposter, you can at least, you know, turn it on then and say, no, they're not going to, I'm going to project confidence that I belong here, that I'm competent and capable.
0: Absolutely, I absolutely love that. I mean, yeah, we don't. When I played football, you got better because you watched the game footage. You were able to see, yeah. you know, visibly what you did, and then you got feedback from other people. And uh, I don't know why we don't do that in therapy sessions. It's like, you know, I think that's the the upside of these Zoom meetings. I'm gonna start Zooming people. I'm like, we're gonna record this. I'm gonna send it to you.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: uh, you know, we'll we'll do we'll do like a reaction, like those YouTube videos where they uh, yeah. they, they they do reactions to. <laughs>
1: But like, to oh, yourself. Yeah,
0: but to yourself.
1: Oh, my God. I would hate it, but I would do it every single time. It's true. That is one of the benefits of doing telehealth or doing Zoom therapy, because you can see yourself at the same time um, or your partner or whoever else. But
0: Yeah, the camera changes you. You know, yeah. they found that, uh, I think, in quantum physics, there were like these molecules. They were shooting these molecules out of this machine. And the molecules would go straight and then they put a camera on it and then it changed the trajectory of the molecules. Uh it's it's wild. It's 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 my, my boy sent me the the video. I I'll send it to you you can check it out. But send it's it wild.
1: That feels very much like um nope from Jordan Peele when it was the yes. whole uh we don't need to get into it (laughs) but i love that movie but it's like what is the phenomenon of watching and being watched and all of that um
0: oh you love the movie huh
1: i do love the movie i mean i'm a huge fan of all of his movies but that's kind of what stood out to me of when i watched that movie by the way i took a related kind of take on it but yeah i don't
0: know okay i haven't seen it and I feel like I need to see it because it gets such a mixed reaction. I, I tried to watch it, and the first five minutes, I was like, nope. Like, when they showed the monkey, <laughs> the monkey in the room after what he did, I was like, nope. Hopping back into imposter syndrome, how much does uh, perfectionism play into it? Wanting to, like, check all the boxes, be on all the cues, and, and feeling like if, uh, if I eyelashes eyelash on my, is on my cheek, then I've I ruined, i ruined yeah. my whole image.
1: That's a good question. And it's a common question. I think that imposter syndrome, it kind of manifests in two general ways, even though, again, I'm being very general right now, but it turns into either like, screw it. Like, I don't care. I'm not going to prepare anything. I'm just going to see what happens. There's no way I can do this. So I might as well just give up and just see what happens. Right. And people become, you know, at worst, it's like quite reckless or sort of risky, but you know, on a day-to-day basis, it's more like, "Mm, I'm just going to like do what I do. I'll I'll, I'll try my best, but I'm not going to stress about it. Um, Or people respond to it by saying, no, maybe if I control every single thing and I make sure and I become perfectionist and I say, well, they're not going to catch me slip. I'm going to remember to staple all my pages together this time or some stuff that doesn't even matter. Um, you know, we kind of go on one or the other extreme, um, or, you know, somewhere in the middle. And what sucks is that because we are generally competent and yes, we did get that job or get into that class or whatever, because we actually have the skills for it, whatever, whatever we do, it just kind of reinforces it because you will, you will half fast something and you will still do a good job. And they'll, they'll be like, see, I don't deserve this because I didn't even try that hard. Like I just happened to get it, but you do a good job and then people keep giving you more tasks and it just has, you re, it reinforces it. And the same with perfectionism, they're like, well, this only happened because I stayed up all night doing all of this. So I guess I have to do that every time now. Um, when in reality, it's like, you know, you just back off, you do something in the middle and you're, you're going to do what you do and be fine. But, it just keeps, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. It just keeps reinforcing itself. By the way, I am going to shout out my friend, Steven Lewis. I don't know if you talked to him. He is the imposter syndrome guru of the ages. So I don't even, I mean, he's probably doing like 17 podcasts right now, but you should definitely talk to him and his, um, which I, <laughs> he has a workbook. I think it's something like, taming your inner bully or something like that it's a mm. workbook and i got it just kind of to support him man and then i like opened it and i was like i'm not doing this. this was it was like every single page called me out and i was like sir i want to retain my friend with you like i'm not trying to do this workbook right now but five stars love it go get it it will if you do want to call yourself out it will be great wow. uh, but i learned it i learned a lot from him as well
0: yeah, please do an email intro. I'd love to have them on to discuss. Yes. The, you know, aren't we all outsiders to some extent? Because I, I could imagine what happens is you are new at a school, new at a workplace, and all you see is how you're different. Um, mm-hmm. You know, your how your accent is different, how you dress is different, how, your, uh, how you identify is different. and And then, but the longer you stay with a community or hang out with people, Then you realize this group that you thought was so cohesive. You realize that there are little groups within that big group, right? There's a Mm -hmm. group of this and a group of that. And then you get into those smaller groups and you realize even that group is fractured down Mm -hmm. to two or three people. And then then you find out they don't even like each other, these two people that are so. And, And so in some ways, we are all like putting on airs, which... Wouldn't that be natural to do, right? It's like, if I go to Japan or if I go to Nigeria, I'm not showing up 100% Leo Flowers. That would be ridiculous. Like, it behooves me to be aware as, as to what the... So is there also like a a, a a unrealistic expectation that I should just be able to show up 100% me and be accepted right off the bat?
1: Oh, yeah. I mean... I think what you're describing is the context does matter. So you shouldn't, I mean, you could do whatever you want, but it's true. I think that people either go in thinking like, I have to do everything right in order to fit in or or, I should already be fitting in or no matter what I do, I'm not going to fit in anyway. Um, I'll tell you something, why I talk to a lot of black sheep why my thing is about my work, everything is really based on that of like people who don't fit in or who feel like they're the black sheep. Either it starts in your family often it's between parents and siblings and whatever. Um but I'll tell you a little trade secret. The reason I focus on those people is because everybody feels like that. (laughs) Um so I will see I will see a wide range of people and they will all feel like like outcast and I'm like well yeah but the more comfortable you get with that you realize that I should be an outcast I'm inclined to say like nature favors diversity but you know with everything we learn about nature and how research is like skewed and how people can say well well historically this was happening I just don't trust any of it right now like I don't know what's right any like you can say anything you want and find some research to back it up but I do think that I always feel better being around people who are like different enough from me in one or another way rather than if I went in and everybody was like exactly the same. It just puts me on edge. I mean, and I should say that because I never been in that room. So I imagine it would put me on edge, but.
0: Yeah. I mean, it would be weird. You walk in a room and everybody's wearing all green. And you're the only person in, <laughs> in, 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 a, in a black shirt, white pants, and they're looking at you like, what? It's almost like when you're wearing all white after fall or whatever, you know, whatever weird, strange <laughs> thing is. Or like you like I have a friend who's throwing like a 60s party pretty soon. I I I I'm just imagining that there's gonna be somebody who forgot and they're gonna show up and or they they might have got the wrong decade, and that's gonna be weird.
1: They're gonna be like 1760s and it's really gonna be embarrassing for them. They're just gonna be like, you need to leave.
0: <laughs> Earlier,
1: don't do 1760s. Yeah. You can do even 1860. No, nope, definitely don't do 1860.
0: Don't do 1860. Don't come in talking like that either. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't do that. Earlier, you were talking about taking ownership of this, of feeling like an imposter. Like, like, yeah, I'm an, an imposter. Reclaim it. It's almost like that 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 rap group outcast. We're like, uh-huh, yeah, yeah, baby. Uh-huh. Like, we're outcast, And everybody was on board with that. Talk to me more about taking ownership of being the imposter. Of,
1: okay, you ready for this? Means.
0: Oh, I'm ready.
1: This just came to my head. Mm. Also, I feel like I say this every time I talk to you, but uh, the idea of reclaiming it, of saying like oh I really want to fit in with this group versus actually I don't think I should I I'm not going to keep contorting myself and hiding this and pretending that I'm just going to be me and I'm going to do it loud enough so that other people can find me too and then we can be our group and it's the same thing when we talk about oh rather than going to your parents for approval all the time if you keep not getting it there's no hate look. Like there's nothing wrong, and you can just say, you know what, I'm not getting what I need from here. I'm going to get it somewhere else. I'm going to build my community, and build my life, and be happy. And when enough outcasts get together, we're not outcasts anymore.
0: Yeah, you see those group, those bands and groups. Uh, you know the westerns, the where it's like all the outcasts or the bandits. They got together <laughs> and formed their own little thing. I mean it's really what America is, right? Like we were the ones who felt like um you know w- the queen's way or the way they were doing things over there just didn't didn't vibe with our values. And yeah. so we, we Leo, we, I'm we not American sure what you mean by own.
1: we, but yes. Yeah. <laughs> Americans we'll say.
0: Uh, well, you know, for me I say I say we because that's the thing that travelers really taught me, right? When I'm in America, you know, there's all these, uh, asterisks next to it, right. African-American black American, uh, what social, like there's all these, with socioeconomic status, your degree. But you know, when I was in Pakistan, I was an American when I was mm-hmm. in Belize, I'm an American. I go anywhere else in the world. There's no like, you know, delineation. They just, they hear me, they see me. That's an American. And, yeah. um, And so it's like, it really is context as to how you're going to be described, how people are going to receive you, um, you know, and how you're going to be perceived. Are there any benefits um, to being an imposter, right? To, to.
1: Yeah, I think what people take issue with when we talk about reclaiming this is the syndrome part, a syndrome implies like, oh, there's something wrong with me or that it's not working for me. Or yes, I'm an imposter, but I'm sad about it Mm. (laughs) in the most clumsy of terms, like, oh, it's bothering me. So it's a syndrome. But the imposter part is what if there's no syndrome, it's like, oh, I'm just different. Great. If I can own it and take pride in it and find all of the benefits to it, um, I'm glad that I'm like this versus that. Um, that's very easy if we just honestly if we take this syndrome away it stops being anything and imposter is like not even the right word then it's just I am who I am
0: yeah I I love that idea because I I think if I'm answering my own question part of the upside of of feeling like an imposter I want to say being an imposter right we don't want to over identify but feeling like an imposter is that then we tend to want to help people. We tend to want to cooperate and encourage others. And we're actually, we're better listeners because mm-hmm. we're listening for how we can fit in, but we end up hearing everything from everyone. We, we, we haven't picked a side. And so we actually have a chance to uh, contribute and be of value to the group because they've been in their routine of how they communicate, of how they see things. And now you get to come in with fresh eyes, fresh energy, and you get to pick up on some things that they may not have noticed. It goes back to when you were talking about being in a therapy session of like, I noticed that you're playing with your hair. I noticed that you're sitting on your hands. Like you get to notice these things because uh, we're an imposter. It's it's Mm -hmm. almost like secret agent, man.
1: (laughs) It helps you be more flexible. Like, oh, I can be in different settings and I can make my way through them. It helps you have more empathy because you know what it feels like to be X, Y, Z, to be nervous, to be lonely, whatever. Um, and you see what happens when you talk to a really good therapist as you start answering your own questions. So <laughs> you're welcome. I saw that happen and you were like, oh, I think it's this. And I'm like, yep, that's exactly what I would have said. <laughs> You just you just said it first, so correct. <laughs> is
0: there any is there any part of uh imposter syndrome that we haven't discussed that you think would be of value to the listeners?
1: Uh I mean, I feel I'm glad we covered the topics that we did. It could just go on and on and I think any more than that we get into really specifics of personal experiences. I will say one pet peeve of mine which I am guilty of, so please nobody like comb through all my stuff and be like you do this too Sarah but I am I you said something oh we don't want to over identify and we don't want I really don't like when people hide behind certain identities to kind of protect themselves from accountability or saying like you know Oh, as as a I I'm I'm ADHD. And so that means I'm like that, I'm late everywhere. So people just gonna have to like deal with it or like you have to accommodate me, um, which nobody has to do anything. But yes, if I'm invested and I care about our relationship, of course, I will do that. But when people, you can just say what you need and just say, hey, I have a hard time doing this. Um, what can we do? I just want to call myself out and say, like, I know I'm doing this, what can we do about it? When you can't do that without starting your sentence with a, as a blah, 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 I'm like, okay, like, yes, context matters, your identity matters, I care to know more about you, but please don't just, like, use that as a disclaimer of, like, people are getting really out of hand with it, like, it's getting, well, as someone who grew up in Pacific Standard Time, I am not accustomed to it being dark when I wake up, I'm like, okay, just, just you don't need to do all that like we're, we're over identifying with stuff but <laughs> on the same on the other hand i am like a you know a sort of champion of identities i do think all of that stuff matters it's just not like a blank check to get away with whatever you need to get away with
0: Uh love it if people want to work with you where can they go
1: if they are looking for therapy, they can go to prospecttherapy.com or that's also my Instagram handle is prospecttherapy. If they're looking for coaching or any of my other group programs, they can go to my website, which is sarahstannazai.com.
0: Beautiful. And I'll link to that in the show notes. Penultimate question. I always imagine there's one person listening in who may be on the precipice of wanting to end their life. Before you kill yourself, what would you say to them, Sarah?
1: I'm here. I'm with you. I'm listening. Talk to me.
0: Last question. What are you looking forward to in the next 24 hours?
1: In the next 24 hours. What day is it even? (laughs) And the next, you know what I'm looking forward to is getting my hair done.
0: Yeah. You're going to get a highlighted trim. What you doing to it?
1: Well, it's very hard for people with curly hair Mm. like mine to find somebody who can make it look cute. Um, And so a dear friend of mine is going to do that for me. And she pulls out the scalp massage and the oil treatments. And she just like, you sit there, it's way, the appointment is way longer than just the haircut. And it's so nice. It's like some queen shit. You just feel very taken care of. And then also your hair looks great.
0: I love when you find a person who goes, goes above and beyond uh, w- yes. what's expected. Uh, Sarah, thanks for joining us. Thank you, listeners, for tuning in. Remember, this podcast is not a substitute for calling to get help. Call the 988 or go to prospecttherapy.com. Work with Sarah. Um, you can chat, talk, text. You can call any of the 800 numbers that are listed in the show notes. Uh, you can always go to thrivewithleo.com for one-on-one coaching with yours truly. Let's get to tomorrow together. Thank you, Sarah.
1: Thank you.